0: radioinfluence.com
1: We are back for another edition of the MMA Report Podcast I am Jason Floyd that is Daniel Galvan appreciate you taking time out of your day to download, listen, watch this episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, whether you watch this on video or on the audio platforms, if you can hit that rating and review, subscribe, hit the notification bell. That truly does help us a lot, as well as we got a jam-packed show to talk about what has happened in the world of MMA, what's coming up in the world of MMA. We're going to talk about our top takeaways from UFC Two eighty-three. Also, our reaction to Power Slap, the slap fighting uh, promotion that Dana White has started. The episode one premiered last week, so we'll talk about that. Also, we'll talk about a disturbing report on Conor McGregor that came out earlier this week. Plus, we'll have some quick hits about some things going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Daniel, I, uh, I took in all of UFC two eighty-three. Almost watched all of it live. Only reason I didn't I didn't watch all of it live because I had to make a beer run. So, because I, I ultimately me and my buddies weren't going out, so um, I only had like two beers in the fridge, so I had to make a beer run. So I missed a couple of the early prelims, but overall, it took a UFC two eighty three. I thought it was an enjoyable show. I didn't think it dragged at all. I mean, I remember I was sitting on the couch and like as the pay per view was starting, I was like, "Man, this these fights have gone pretty quick today."
0: Yeah, I mean, we had only three finishes in the preliminary card, and I think that's a big reason why it it, it sped along because, dude. There were 10 fights on the prelims, you know, so that was a lot of fights, but it, it, it was a really enjoyable preliminary card. I tell you what, like even the fights that didn't get finished, the women's featherweight matchup between Nunez and Dos Santos was a freaking awesome fight. And to be frank, those two fighters deserved the fight of the night bonus or their fight. That was a better fight than Teixeira and Jamal Hill. As cool as it was to see, you know, Glover fight back in round five and, and, and get a good position. That woman's featherweight scrap was awesome. But bro, even before you get started on the pay-per-view, man, those prelims were just highlight after highlight. The Bo- the Bonefiend brothers, oh my God, turning Terrence McKinney into a meme with that flying knee knockout. The other Buffin, Gabriel, got that submission. I mean, you could go all over the place. And then the main card was um the main card wasn't the greatest in the world, but it was still a, a fine little pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, you mentioned about those Bonfim brothers, and I don't know if you you saw it on, on social media, but uh, McKinney was doing a shot with him the next day.
0: Yeah, you you gotta love his attitude, man. I saw him; McKinney looked good, shirtless, enjoying the live. He deserves it. You know, Terence is a guy who easily is someone you gotta look at as a as a as a really relevant fighter to the UFC roster. He just does such a good job with his social media presence. That's someone who you get your ears and your eyes perking up whenever he's on a fight card. So it was a tough loss. I don't think it's an indictment on his skill level. I just think his opponent, um, Ismael Bonfim, is the real freaking deal on the feet. I mean, he's just the real deal. And it's just like... That's the type of guy that probably someone like Patty Pimblet will not find in, in, in across the octagon from him for about two and a half years. But if you're Terrence McKinney, you just might. And he just ran to a killer. I, I think Terrence will rebound, but it's good to see that he was in good spirits because, damn, again, that knockout was crazy. I mean, the craziest part about the knockout was probably just the way McKinney just like fell down. But uh, it was it was it was bananas.
1: Yeah, I mean, McKinney lost his mouthpiece uh, at least two times during that matchup. You know, after our fight was over, I was like, man, if you're Patty Pimble, maybe you do now take the Terrence McKinney fight. Maybe you look at that fight and go, hey, that's a, that's a fight I like. I mean, how about Gabriel Bonfine? That transition to that guillotine choke, He, didn't, I mean, his brother got the the performance of the night, and, and Jolta Almeida got the other one. I mean, Jolta Almeida went out there and... Man, he, he was absolutely amazing when he, he went out there and did. But I'm like, Garo Bonfin, just that transition from the stand-up to, the, to that guillotine and and finishing that fight, man, that was
0: amazing. Dude, that really was amazing. And, and, again, both those guys just took care of business. Both brothers were dominant. You know, Gabriel at welterweight, Ismael at lightweight. There were a lot of fighters who started like in the Contender Series and made their debut at UFC 283 where it was just like, okay, I'm paying attention. You know, you look, at, you look at Bruno Ferreira and the knockout he got at middleweight, or Gregory Rodriguez, who's been in the UFC for a bit. Awesome. Uh, another guy, I believe, that's debuting. Daniel Marcos to start off the card with that nasty knee that crunched up Oliveira to start off the card. So those guys were really impressive, these debuting guys from the Contender Series. And then, yes, Jailton Almeida is another capital G guy at heavyweight. You look at his performance against a very tough fighter in Shamila Durhama, a long-lasting veteran in the division. And and you look at Jelton, and you just got to think this is a guy who's going to be a fixture in the heavyweight scene. I mean, he represents Brazil's best chance at getting a heavyweight champion since Junior Dos Santos. He looked awesome.
1: Yeah, I just would like to see a little bit of step-up competition. You know, I know people were kind of comparing the amount of strikes that he's taken in his first five UFC fights in comparison to Hamzat Shmaev. I'm like, well, the big difference is Hamzat Shmaev has taken on a top-five guy in the 170-pound division where Dalton Almeida is taking on the lower third, you know, lower half uh, of the UFC heavyweight division. I just would like to see him get... I mean, look, do I think the ceiling for him is UFC champion? Yes, I do. But also, I do think that you know it wasn't... I thought it was interesting to see that he did put on some weight for this one. You, you look back at his previous fights, he's weighing like 216, which you're kind of like, is this guy just not want to cut weight? But you know, he comes in at 232. So, interesting to kind of see what he does there. Um, uh, I got to get some kudos to UFC production team. I thought that opened with, you know, the history of Brazil uh, that they did with it. The video package for Jose Aldo going into the Hall of Fame, I thought was a great job. So I get some kudos there to UFC production team with what they were able to do there. Um, unfortunately, the, the ride for Shogun Hua does not end the way that he wanted it to ride. And, you know, I saw a lot of criticism on the matchmaking of this one, and I just don't get that matchmaking. And I my response is people who had a problem with the matchmaking, I'll say okay, who would have been a better opponent? It's not like Poteria is like a top five guy. This guy is the lower third of the UFC light heavyweight division. So I didn't get that criticism because it wasn't like this is a situation where you really, you know, outside of maybe an Alexander Gustafson, you didn't have like a, a 38, 39, 40-year-old light heavyweight that would make sense to put up against against Shogun.
0: Yes, it was a winnable fight for Shogun. You saw it in the fight against Pateria before he ended up getting finished. He did crack him, I believe, with the left that stumbled Pateria. So I don't think Pateria is gonna come off this win and and become the, you know, the first ever Ukrainian light heavyweight champion. I, I think this is a guy who's going to trade wins and losses at 205. He's still not hit 30, so you never know, and you don't want to predict a cap on a guy's career, but he doesn't come across to me as an absolute killer. Um, so it, it was a winnable fight for Shogun. It's just more of a testament to maybe where he's at. And this is the guy who did have a late career run where he was fighting back against Father Time. But eventually, Father Time wins. And you just look at the way he looked. I mean, he was just moving too slow. And also, you know, maybe the chin was gone, or maybe it was just the right shot that landed on his temple. But I'm glad you transitioned from giving kudos to the production team to this fight because I would also give kudos. I don't know if it was a decision of the producer of the show or just John Anik, but it was really nice that they didn't talk for a very long time. Whenever Shogun made his final entrance to the cage, they didn't really speak until he went to get uh, you know, the the Vaseline and get checked by the official. And you could, they just let the crowd do the wonders as he came out to sail by, I want to say, I don't know what the band's called, like AWOL Nation or something. But uh, yeah, it was was a great production. Unfortunately, Shogun lost. Um, It would have been a crazy moment. But yeah, I think it's important that we kind of take a moment just to kind of reflect on what you think of the legacy of Shogun Hua. And I'll say this, man, how amazing is it when you look at a guy like Shogun Hua And I don't think you could say this about any other fighter in the history of this sport. Maybe you can, but I think you can't. Is there another fighter where you can say winning the UFC championship was not the peak of their career? I don't know. Because winning the UFC championship wasn't the peak of Shogun's career. A couple weeks ago, when we talked about the best years a fighter has ever had, I mentioned Shogun's 2005 when he won the Pride Middleweight Grand Prix. That was a year in which he fought, I believe, five times. He has wins over Jackson, win over Overeem, beat Arona. And if there's one fight you need to watch out of Shogun's career, it's his fight in 2005 against Little Nog. It's One of the great fights of all time. In that year, he was probably the best fighter on the planet. And uh, ironically, he won the UFC championship, but his prime was probably seven years prior.
1: Yeah, you you look at that. You mentioned about those wins against Overeem and Ricardo Arona. They were both on, it was on the same night back in, in August twenty eighth uh, of two thousand five. You mentioned about that. Uh, two thousand five, he had also beat Rampage Jackson at uh, beginning of that year. Uh, back in April, had a win in February of that year. Then of course he got the win over Nogueira. Then the two wins against Overeem and Arona. I mean, like when you you had mentioned to me is he like, hey, let, let's talk about the legacy of Shogun. The thing that merely pops in my mind is just an OG slash an end of an era in our sport. You know, you think about that pride era and that, that era of pride in in the early 2000s to, you know, 2007, it, it's just one of those things of like, it's to me, it's the end of an era. Um, I think he should, you know, um, you know, we we all know what the UFC Hall of Fame is. I mean, Hall of Fame is whatever, you know, the business policies of the UFC are. Hence why Anderson Silva is not in the UFC Hall of Fame. Hence why Frank Shamrock is not in the UFC Hall of Fame. But Shogun, while, you know, we look at the overall record he had in the UFC, it wasn't an ideal record. But to me, when you talk about, you know, one of the capital OGs of this sport, Shogun, who has got to be in there?
0: Yeah, I think especially he was one of those guys that personified Pride Fighting Championship. Him, Vanderlei, Rampage, Fedor, Sakuraba, uh, Gomi. Those are some of those guys. And you look at some of his highlight tapes and you just think this is a guy who was tailor-made for the Pride Fighting style, the rule set. He did such a good job of utilizing strikes that are illegal in the UFC, but were legal in Pride. And he was just one of the most enjoyable fighters to watch fight in Pride. And in the UFC, man, I mean, you know, at first he was a victim of one of the uh, worst decisions I've seen when he lost that fight to Lyoto Machida via decision. I thought that was a robbery, but he followed it up by getting the win. Um, You know, his UFC career was respectable. Again, a champion. And when we're talking grand scale of things, also just a cool guy. Just a cool guy, cool mystique, great nickname, great look, fighting style. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people grew up saying Shogun's my favorite fighter. Um, I think lastly for me when I'm talking about his legacy, I think when we are looking at the greatest light heavyweight fighters of all time, there is a there is a logjam of great fighters that are after John Jones and Daniel Cormier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a logjam. There's a lot. I mean, you're talking Shogun, Vanderlei, Liddell, Ortiz... Uh, Rashad, Leoto, and Couture. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but I would posit to you that Shogun is the third best light heavyweight of all time as we're speaking. And I don't think it's recency bias, but I think when you look at that 2005, he had coupled with winning the UFC light heavyweight championship over Machida and the longevity of his career, I would say his resume Puts him at number three.
1: I get where you come from, longevity. The first thing that, that came to my mind is I'm thinking about that run Chuck Waddell had. I mean, we're talking at, at Chuck's height. I mean, I mean, think about Chuck Liddell from 2000, the 2004 to 2006 run that Chuck Waddell had. So, yeah, the, the win against Tito Ortiz, or UFC 47. A, a knockout win in the second round. Knockout win in the first round against Vernon White. Knockout win the first round against Randy Couture. Fourth round TKO win against Jeremy Horn. Second round knockout against Randy Couture. First round against uh, Babalu. Third round against Tito. And then after that, that's when the wheels started coming off. Losing to Rampage, losing to Jardine. And we, we all kind of know. But, like, you think about that two-year run that Chuck had. I mean... You're talking about like, obviously, the sport of MMA is not what the sport at mixed martial arts is today. But like, he was Conor McGregor in 2004, 2006. I remember when he was on Entourage, I was like, oh, wow. Like, at that time, it's not like you saw an MMA fighter just appear on a television show.
0: Yes, Chuck was the most famous fighter in the UFC. Him, Ortiz, and Couture were the big three that really carried the promotion during their specific time period. I'm glad you mentioned him, and it, it's you're picking apples, and I mean you're picking straws when you're comparing these resumes. They're they're tough, and and that run he went on was legendary. He was the baddest man on the planet. So I'm glad you mentioned it, and I'm just glad we're having this discussion. I mean, it's important to have this discussion because mm-hmm. people forget these things. And also, let me mention Frank Shamrock was also one of the great light heavyweights of all time. Um, people forget these things. As we move forward, we get a fight card every year. We have a recency bias, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you look at the NBA, and I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, and he referenced uh, Pat Riley. He had an article by Ramona Shelbourne. And basically what Bill Simmons says, everyone's saying that uh, LeBron James is doing this, and no one, we've never seen this before at age 38. He's like, I, I was in the building in the finals when Kareem was 38 <laughs> doing it. And so the point is we forget Mm -hmm. the past. We forget the history, but it's important to talk about the history and pay respect to it. It's important to remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson and and Wilt Chamberlain. And it's important to remember Shogun and Liddell. And obviously he's a surefire UFC hall of famer. And it's just a reminder that for the love of God, we need an independent mixed martial arts hall of fame. That would be (laughs) spectacular.
1: Oh, totally. That's exactly what we need, but th- the reality is, is that going to come? Most likely not. Now, before we get into what I kind of feel like may be the biggest takeaway from UFC 283, and that's uh, whether or not a corner should stop a matchup, do want to kind of talk about Jamal Hill. As I'm watching this fight, I mean, first off, you're talking about this is a guy... Who got taken down six times by Tiago Santos in his last fight? Now, Tiago Santos went for 20 attempts, so he st- did stop 13, you know, f- you know, 14 of them, but he still got the fight down six times. And that was kind of the thing heading into this matchup against Glover is man, how is he gonna stop the grappling? And man, he went out there, did it. And as I was watching this fight, and you still see there's a lot of green in. And Jamal Hill in terms of his abilities of where he could be. But as I was watching it, one of my thoughts was like, man, is this kind of similar to what we saw from John Jones in 2011 and ultimately in two th- 2010 and all going into 2011 when he became the UFC Light Heavyweight Champion with that win over Shogun?
0: That's, a, that's an interesting question. I'll answer it by saying there are some elements there. I do remember how I felt watching John Jones's run versus Jamal's run. And Jones had more of a sense of inevitability to him becoming champion, even early on in his career, just because he was destroying guys. And Jamal, for his part, I believe, finished every person he's, he's beaten up until this one. Um, so there is that. But Jones was really special. But I think the point you're making is that Oftentimes, early in a person's UFC career, you see some heavy development fight to fight where they just come in as a completely different fighter. Because of the hand Jamal was dealt due to Yuri vacating the championship and then the fight with Ankalayev Yan going the way it did, he was thrust into a championship fight as he's still making massive leaps as a fighter. So we could see him continue to improve. Regardless, in this fight against Glover Teixeira, it was a career-defining performance out of Jamal Hill. you got to point to his defensive ability throughout the entire fight, his defensive wrestling. Glover had a lot of great shots in on him that he defended. And if he did get down, even late in the fifth round, which was just amazing, he was able to get back up, use his strength and use his balance and athleticism and skill to... Change the tide. In addition to that, his striking defense was on point. Obviously, Glover tagged him a few times. If you're in the octagon with Glover for 25 minutes, you're going to end up getting hit a couple times. But Jamal's striking defense in his striking game, dude, that was an A++. The dude performed like a champion. There are, are a lot of great light heavyweights in the world right now. He has a case to be the best light heavyweight in the world. And it was an amazing moment. John Anik talked about it how it's one of the great pleasures to see someone go from the bottom in life and rise at to the top of their profession. And what an emotional moment when he won that championship on his knees crying, he was so emotional. He won over that hostile Brazilian crowd who was throwing crap at Brandon Moreno. He won them over, man.
1: Let's say this. And you bring up this, this point I wanted to get to is about who is the best light heavyweight in the world. And of the time, if I said who is the best light heavyweight in the world, you would automatically say it is whoever is the UFC undisputed light heavyweight champion. As we sit here on January 25th, 2023, the undisputed UFC light heavyweight champion is Jamal Hill. This is that time where I don't know how many people would say Jamal Hill is the best light heavyweight in the world. I feel like if I pull 10 people in the mixed martial arts community, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three will say Jamal Hill. I feel like the overall majority would say Yuri Prahashka is the best light heavyweight in the world. Maybe there'll be someone that would say Vadim Nemkov. Maybe there'll be someone that would say Magomed and Kalev. But it, it's an interesting kind of, question on did Jamal Hill do enough on Saturday night to make someone believe he is the best 205 pound fighter in the world
0: I think so he fought like it but there are four names that are in consideration for that crown I don't think there's another one outside of those four and you mentioned them all and realistically you can't say it and be 100% confident they're the best heavyweight in the world unfortunately, we're not going to see them all fight each other because Vadim's in Bellator. I would kill for a sure. – oh, I wouldn't kill. That would put me in jail. But I would love to see a four-man tournament. I mean, Nemkov and Kalayev, Yuri and Jamal, let's see it, man. But if you ask me who I think the best I have in the world is, man, I think it's Magomed and Goliath, to be honest with you. I think when it's all said and done, look, I think moving forward, I think we're going to see Jamal Hill fight Yuri in the summer. He, an article came out that said he was going to be possibly ready by July yeah. and August. So I think that's next, but I like on skill set in all the different aspects more so than the rest of the team. And then with Vadim Nemkov, I, he also is very talented. We just aren't going to get that clarity of him competing against these guys, but he is also got a real case to be the best light heavyweight in the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting debate and and Yuri was on aerial show on Monday and he mentioned, he said, he goes, look, I believe I'm getting ready, you know, July, August time. He goes, I don't know if Jamal wants to wait that long. I mean, when you talk about like who will Jamal Hill's first tile defense be against if he's willing to wait. Okay. That the Yuri fight is one that makes a sense. You know, the the name that is throwing out there and even Jamal Hill has mentioned this one may not necessarily as his next fight, but maybe a, a fight after that would be Gloved Sheriff's protege and Alex Bahia moving up to 205 pounds. There's kind of some thoughts that maybe Alex is going to defend the title, the 185 pound title in April. Maybe that's against Izzy. Maybe it's against Robert Whittaker. If, if Izzy, you know, somehow maybe isn't ready for the matchup. But like if I say true false, Jamal Hill's next fight is against Yuri Prahashka, I would probably say true. I just, like, if he's not ready, it should be Ankalaev. But I think we know the UFC and Ankula may not be on the same page. Anthony Smith is sitting out there. You got a little bit of storyline, but does he necessarily deserve a tile shot? No. The guy that kind of has been forgotten about in this story is Jan Blachowicz.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, the other one is Rakic. those two yeah but yeah Jan has I think with Jan the reason why it's not appetizing is I think I won that fight (laughs) I I think he won that fight but he's there and he tends to find himself in good situations so I I think that's a possibility look I almost feel like the universe owes Anthony Smith a favor after what went down whenever he lost his fight against Jamal Mm -hmm. Hill on air so maybe he deserves it but realistically if you ask me what i think is going to happen i think jamal is going to jump at the chance to take um a little bit of a longer time in between championship fights and fight in august or july against yuri i just think that fight makes all the sense in the world when yuri gave with the championship he was the undisputed light heavyweight champion he didn't lose it he vacated it due to injury so I think that's the fight to make, but yes, Ankalayev also deserves an opportunity, and you know fighters have an absolute fetish for being champion champion. So yes, Alex Alex Pereira is another guy, and that's a great fight. The light heavyweight division is a division that, after John Jones vacated the championship, was in disarray. I felt like it didn't have a clear identity, and I must say the cream has risen to the top. And the light heavyweight division in the UFC is very interesting and it is back in, like, it's a really relevant, interesting uh, situation, and I think it's kind of healthy once again.
1: Yeah, you know, as I kind of look at look down this, this top to 15 and thinking about guys who would be interesting kind of see where they develop over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. You know, I look at, at Johnny Walker. We saw he was able to do, go out there and do a Paul Craig since moving over to SBG. Uh, another guy I'll point to is Ryan Spann, the, the Fortis product. He's he's number 10 right now. And and I would say if I was going to point someone else, how about Jimmy Crute, the down-under prospect the he me? And, you know, because I, I think 205 was, you know, for a long time, I think we would say was kind of like a, a, a staple. Mark division for the UFC. So kind of interesting to see uh, where that should go there. But I mean, look, I think when we're talking about takeaways from UFC 83 and, and the aftermath of it. Corner stoppage has got to be part of this conversation. And it, the conversation starts with Glove Shara and then the conversation from earlier tonight with Lauren Murphy. And there was an article that was over at MMAfighting.com about Lauren Murphy and it was titled Lauren Murphy fights off corner criticism after rough UFC two eighty three three loss miss me with this double standard BS. Now look, I don't think she is wrong in what she's saying there. I truly believe even though it is, I thought that fight should have been stopped and it's never a good sign when you have a former great fighter in the commentary booth talking the whole third, um, third round that this fight should be stopped. But I think if we're looking at this from an open perspective, I sit there and go, we do have a double standard in the sport when it comes to corner stoppages, whether it's a, a male fight or a female fight. Would you agree with me?
0: Well, I just think in life, we have a double standard when we're talking about men and women. It's just as simple as that. It's unfortunate, but it's true. In that just the way society has evolved since the dawn of time, you have these things and it plays out and things like this, where clearly people are more quick to jump the gun and say a fight should be stopped earlier. If it's a women's fight versus a man's fight. I do think that is something that is real. I think that speaks to just the way society is with its gender biases. But it's true and it, it you know, kudos to her for standing up for herself, standing up for her corner. Um but I, I read the article and to dismiss it to where it's just media members and fans saying it is is in which it's kind of what she said is kind of funny because literally if you just watch the pay per view, a former world champion is calling out the fact that it should stop. He has credentials. He's been in there. It it just comes down to perspective and i understand lauren's perspective i understand the idea that you grow up and you want to be a fighter so you believe in yourself and you believe when you face all the adversity in the world you can still overcome after you've got your face beaten in for two straight rounds against an absolute monster and jessica Andraj. You believe that you're going to be Rocky Balboa and you're going to come out and score that third round knockout. And I really sympathize with that because it is only 15 minutes. You spend months preparing for only 15 minutes. You look at Glover Teixeira, and man, there was a moment in that fourth round where it was clear that fight probably should have been stopped and he was just, you know, getting railed on. With Glover, it's his last fight of his career. He has no other fight left. You know, go out on your shield. I understand that perspective. I really do. I would still say both those fights should have been stopped by their corners. It just wasn't very sporting. It felt like the result was done. And all that was going forward was more damage to their brain.
1: Yeah, and and this is some of the quotes that uh, suck out to me about what Lauren Murphy said. She goes, all the podcasters and and fans screeching about Lauren Murphy needs a new corner and they should throw in the towel – is anyone arguing that Glover's corner should have stopped it? I saw him after a fight and he looked way worse than me. Both his eyes are closed and he took a ton of unanswered shots. What about when Brian Ortega got a boxing lesson in the middle of the fight from Max? Look at Darren Elkins' entire career. It's a fist fight. Sometimes we get beat up, sometimes it may it might make you uncomfortable. That's your problem. Where are these people when Joanna J Chick look like a effing Mega Mind in her fight with Way Lee? If you're if they're concerned for safety, then why aren't they screening for her to be pulled competitive or not? Shouldn't her safety have come first? Miss me with that double standard BS. Now I will say and we've brought the point in Daniel Cormier. I saw Cub Swanson on Twitter say, you know, look, you, you, you want as a fire, you want and paraphrasing what he said, basically, saying, look as a fire, you want to go on your shield. But he said the corner should have thrown in the towel. But here's the, the two parts of her quotes that stuck out to me the most. She goes, I was responsive in the corner, not slouched over or disheartened. I told my corner I would do what they wanted and I tried like hell to make it happen. I did have some of the tools I need to make it happen, but that doesn't mean I should have been pulled like you don't have a chance. I can't stand it when people say she had no chance of winning. So just stop the fight. Where is the spirit of competition in that y'all drive me nuts because we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. Now if this was an interview scenario you know where she was bringing these quotes and I was interviewing Dale, my follow-up to her would be this in your mind, what would it take for a corner to throw in the towel?
0: Yeah, that would be a really interesting thing and maybe she, you know I don't want to put words in her mouth, but who, who knows what or maybe she just thinks a corner shouldn't stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, it should just be solely on the referee, the independent official to make that call. You know, you listen to her quotes, and I understand her point of view. And I'm not <laughs> going to come out. I'm not going to come out here and, and and say her corner was in the wrong. I will say that I would stop the fight uh, if I was their corner. And the one key part of that quote was she said, "competitive or not." Well, that's the whole point. The fight wasn't competitive. It felt that it was just going to be five more minutes of her getting destroyed and picked apart on the feet by Jessica Andraj, and that's what happened. Um, And, yeah, you know, the commentators also, funnily enough, said, we shouldn't be talking about how tough you are the entire fight. That just means you're getting your butt beat. And (laughs) that was the narrative. Yeah. That was the narrative the entire fight. Uh, So, yeah, it's something where all I got to say is coming off of this. And it's it's an evergreen topic, and I mentioned it to you. I I told you quite often during these pay-per-views, we will have these narratives that come out, That is just like playing the greatest hits. Well, this pay-per-view is a pay-per-view where we had a couple fights where the fight should have been stopped by the corner. This pay-per-view was a couple fights where the scorecards were really bad. This pay-per-view, we saw um, a guy grab the fence in multiple fights. Stuff like that. This is one of those evergreen topics. I just hope that this conversation promotes corners being more liberal with their stoppages just to promote fighter safety. (laughs)
1: But as I said, I do believe we do have a double standard in, in mixed martial arts. And I don't think we mean to have a double standard. I just think it's kind of as humans that that's how we feel. Of course, the other part of this corner stoppage is John Hackleman, who was in the corner of Glover to share an article over dot com from Steve Morocco uh, titled John Hackleman retires from cornering after trying to call off Glover share versus Jamal Hill a UFC Um, one of the things in the very first paragraph of this article that stuck out to me. And I made a call to somebody about that, where uh, Steven writes quote, where were he, the chief corner referee Mark Gar would have listened to him and waved off the action in favor of Hill. I reached out to a regulator and I said, if someone in the corner, that's not the chief corner. If the referee hears them talking about, they want to stop the fight is the referee's duty to honor that? And basically was told, yes, he is to honor that. You have one of the licensed cornermen saying that. Uh, And and some of the quotes that really stuck out to me, one in the kind of the middle of the article uh, where John says, win or lose, he would have retired. He's ready. He's done enough. He's proven enough. And of course, Glover talked about how he was just kind of tough for his own good. Uh, And and John was a guy that, you know, he's talked about, you know, he's a guy that will stop the fight. Um, and later on this article, he, he's quoted saying, I'm thankful they didn't stop it. I know this would have gone, would have gone well with anyone. It would have made a lot of people really unhappy and I don't want it to be about me. I would have thrown it in after the third. I would have been completely happy with the fight stopping there. I saw no reason for it to go on after that. And the article ends with John Hackleman saying, that's my last cornering. I'm never going to work a corner again. And I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today. I said, let's say that's the opening fight of the pay-per-view. It's not the main event. It's not a title fight. Would there maybe be a... Would, and Look, I think Mark Goddard, if he's not the best referee in this game, he's number two. I would say right now, I think he's probably the number one referee in the game right now. Is I just wonder would his actions be different? And I saw people correlating this to the Izzy and Pahaya fight back in November, where there are some people that feel like maybe he should give Izzy a little bit more time. He gave Glover every inch to stay in this fight.
0: Yeah, and, and look at what happened in the fifth round. He yeah. took him down, he got on top. Glover's one of the great top guys in the division, and he was able to still fight. And also, you got to think back to his previous fight with Yuri, where it was just like he was uh, he he was just an absolute zombie just moving forward. And it was so back and forth. And I could be wrong in this, but I actually think it's acceptable to allow more like. Uh, allow more opportunity for a fighter to continue to stay in the fight in a championship fight. I could be wrong on that. And I could, my opinion could change with someone providing a strong case, but I do think there's just so much on the line. It's the pinnacle of the sport. It's the peak of a person's athletic journey. Um, It's, it's worth it. Uh, Yes. I I think the point to stop this fight was uh, in the barrage in that fourth round. That was where I would have stopped it. I felt like he was just done on the feet, but yeah, it was a uh, it was it was a tough one, but that was a narrative in both fights. And you know, John Hackleman, you think about his history and think about what he saw with the man you mentioned earlier, Chuck Liddell. I, I mean, that's got to scar someone when you look at the late career of him. Yeah, it I mean- really does
1: you know, you think about Glover, there was a time where we had to go to like the Sherdog forums to see what he was doing because of all his visa issues that, you know, and and the UFC did kind of help square that away. Uh, The final thing I want to talk about UFC 283 is the co-main event. First off, uh, Alexander Pantoja. Did you see this interaction in the back with Bram Moreno?
0: I didn't see the video.
1: He's basically basically saying, I'm next, I'm next and and Moreno's like, yeah, yeah, you're next. He's like, so next month? Pantoja, bro. You're not
0: the champion. You don't decide when the fight's going to be, bro. I know, dude. Also, next month is a little outrageous, all right? Be understanding, all right? He was in four rounds and like, uh, you know, action against Davison and Figueroa. Be understanding, Pantosha. But it feels like Brandon, like, uh, fluctuates between being antagonistic and also loving and nice and kind. Like, you look at his post-fight yes. interview – and he's like, nice. But then he's like, Viva Mexico pedals. And it's like, damn. He just flipped the switch real quick. Um, okay. So I guess we just got to do a fifth fight, Jason. I'm just kidding. I'm just no, kidding. When, but. when that fight
1: ended, that is the first thing that came to my mind. Like, if you're Dyson Figueroa, even though the reason your eye got shut is because that knuckle went in your eye, like, it was a legal shot, there was nothing illegal about it. You know, but they're also disappointed me as a just as a combat sports fan of like, okay, let's we could do a fifth fight, not next. Yeah, but of course, but and Figueroa has already come out and said he's going to 135. So maybe we see these guys fight at some point. But yeah, let's yeah let's move on from this.
0: Maybe that could be the last fight of one of their careers is is that fifth and final fight, or maybe one day Brandon. Moves up to 135 and and meets Davis in there for a championship, you know, Figueredo, I think he's going to be really good at 135. And this was a fight where Brandon was winning it, but it was close. It was back and forth. Brandon's wrestling looked really good. Obviously, there was a lot of concern out of me for how Brandon was going to perform because of the shakeup in his camp. I know they mentioned it, but they didn't mention who his former coach was in the broadcast. That's interesting.
1: No, they did. No, they did. Oh, they brought, wait. They, they did? They, brought, they, brought up, they said James Krause's name one time. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I remember. I, missed- like, I was thinking, I was, like, I was like, God, there's a better chance of Bellator and Scott Coker getting mentioned on this broadcast than James Krause.
0: Oh, my God. I can't believe I missed it. I was literally listening for it whenever. Because like I, the, the point I was focused on was whenever Moreno was walking in, and he was it was Ram when he was getting checked by the doctor, and they mentioned that he he started training with Saeed, But I didn't hear them say Kraus. When did they mention Kraus? Was it in the walk-in?
1: Yeah, it was. It was in the walk-in. Yeah.
0: Oh crap! Wow. Uh, the
1: thing the thing that was really interesting to me last week was when Ram did his media day. Like no question was he even brought up about the changing coaches, and I was like. I, and I hit up Moreno's management, and I go, "Hey, man, I'm just pure. I'm just asking. Like, was there some uh, moratorium given that Brand was going to answer a question about coaching?" Like, no. And I just, I was shocked. I know in the Brett Okamoto interview they did that they filmed in Las Vegas that he did bring in the question. Safe Saud. and Safe Saud was actually on aerial show on Monday, and and I want to play a clip from that show, and while he doesn't. He, he he's praising Jason house and full disclosure here. Cause I feel like I need to have full disclosure here. Look, I have a great relationship with Jason house. I have a great relationship with his agency, Iridium sports management. When you listen to a Sunday podcast, a lot of those fighters are represented by Iridium. So I, I just want to throw that out there is just kind of a little bit of a disclaimer, but I think, you know, you know, if I feel like Jason House needs to be called out, I would call Jason house out now before UFC two a three, I saw this tweet from Eric Nixick, the head coach at Extreme Couture, where he wrote, if you're a fighter and you have a manager telling you what coach and what gym you should train at, the first question you should ask is, how is this directly benefiting my manager? And um, while Safe Saud does not say Eric Nixick's name in this clip, Daniel, it is very clear he's addressing this criticism.
2: Credit to Jason House, who, man, I mean, if... if, if uh he's like that, that the agent, you know, he's like, I love your kid. I'm going to take care of him. I'm this and that he's really that fucking guy. Cause he, he was so worried about just about Brandon's well being. What was right about Brandon, not about the fight. And, uh, that needs to be recognized, man. And, and, uh, I'm going to continue to be a, a, a voice of positivity. And when I see people doing good things, I'm going to talk about them, you know, no matter what. And, uh, I want to credit him for that. And another thing is me and Jason house have no business together. He manages one fighter of mine. I managed all 20 of my fighters in the UFC. We've never done anything together. We don't do any any of that together. So the reality was, the reason why I've always respected that about Jason is because I can see that love that he has for Brandon. And Brandon, as well, is that kind of guy, right? He He's a, a guy of integrity and a guy of commitment. And,
1: and there you have Uh, What he had to say there and I mean look Daniel clearly he was he was reacting to what Eric Nixick wrote over there and I knew the fact of I there is a backstory here let me just say that I know there's a backstory here it's not my place to talk about what this backstory is. But it was interesting to kind of hear SafeSide would bring that up. And, you know, also part of the interview he talked about, it, he's like, look, Jason House treats Brandon Moreno like he's his son. And he said, he goes, look, there was an injury leading up uh, at the start of camp. And, you know, there was some consideration whether or not that Brandon should be pulled from this matchup. But, uh, you know, it, it's like, hey, SafeSide, come on, man. We all know who you're talking about. You can just say his name.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like when you look at that deal, those two just have issues with each other. And that's probably what played out there. When you look at Nick Six tweet, though, it's important to ask those questions all the time. Mm-hmm. But it it is also one of those things where if you have a distrust of your manager for their suggestions that their motives have ulterior motives, man, you got to get a new manager. I mean, it, it, in this fight game, you got to have that relationship, and the key word is trust. And clearly, with Brandon and Jason, they have an unbelievable trust, and and that's what you got to have where that person is giving you good advice and as we're speaking brandon moreno is the fightweight champion of the world
1: i mean look i i think that the manager should have maybe a say in, in advising him because they're trying to put their their man their fighter in the best place scenario but i mean look this is the reality of it folks sometimes managers you know they just have good relationship with coaches also there's sometimes there's managers that don't have good relationship with gyms. This happens in in this industry. So, uh, just something that kind of wanted to play there. I talked talk about a little bit on the Sunday podcast, but um, I mean, look I, at the end of the day, it's Bram Raynor's decision what he wants to do.
0: Absolutely, and again, it paid off. It, it did. He looked good. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him in Pantoja. I'm looking forward to a new chapter in the flyweight division. What Davidson's going to do. Um, I think for me, my last note on 283, just make sure we mention his name, is Gilbert Burns. Uh, he had a good – well, two things. One, we talked about Leonard Morphy, but on the flip side, Jessica Draws just looked like a phenom. Yeah. I mean, she just uh, – she's got a flyweight championship fine in her future. But uh, Gilbert Burns took on one of the toughest fighters in that weight class, Neil Magny, and he just – he, he went to work, man. He went to work. He showed off while he, he started off as one of the great jiu-jitsu coaches in the game, and he just uh, showcased his jiu-jitsu there. And I'm looking forward to the idea of him taking on Colby. I think Gilbert Burns is a real possibility of, of getting back in that world weight championship picture. He, uh, he looks re-energized, and he looks renewed.
1: And now, last week on the show, we talked about how Power Slap was debuting, and this was going to be something that me and you were were interested to kind of see how this thing played out. I I did not watch the entire show. I watched two segments of it, and uh, I think one thing that I noticed, um, so as I was watching it, I I had my Twitter open, and I wasn't surprised by the reaction uh, of of MMA Twitter. I mean, I knew that it was going to be negative, but I also think it's important to understand that there is going to be a section of the combat sports community that they love this. Now I'm sure what the Dana White and Hunter Campbell and everyone over there at power slap and the UFC endeavor, they probably hoped that they were going to get a much bigger rating on TBS than what he did. I think it was 285,000 was a live plus same day viewers over there. Um, You know, but like, the best way I would describe it is uh, rinse and repeat, Daniel. It's the ultimate fighter. That's all it is. This is the ultimate fighter. Um, you know, there's there's a lot. I think one of my overall takeaways from it is I think it shows you how much power Dana White, Hunter Campbell, and the UFC and Endeavor have on the Navasita Athletic Commission that they're regulating a sport where Let's be honest about it. You can't intelligently defend yourself. And that brings me to, um, the power slap president. So he's doing an interview with John Morgan. So this comes from John Morgan's Twitter account as uh, the power slap president is defending that, uh, he says there actually is defense in slap fighting that I see out there a lot is, well, I just can't get into this because it's not a sport. There's no defense. And because there's no defense,
3: I can't, you know, I can't sign up for this. I can't get on board with it. How do you address people that say, well, you're forcing a guy to stand there and take a shot? Well, I think, you know, that, that, is this a sport? uh, Conversation online has, goes on with everything, right? Is bowling a sport? Is pool a sport? Is this a sport? At the end of the day, you have two athletes competing, right? You talk to them. They absolutely feel like it's a sport. They absolutely feel like they are training and working hard, and you'll start seeing that in the episodes with the coaches, right? Where they actually train technique, work out in the gym. Um, so, listen, I, I think I think what you saw in episode one was just the surface, and what you'll con- what you'll continue to see is even more improvement in these athletes and more improvement over you know the way the matches are run. Um, on the no defense, I mean, there's no evasive defense if your definition of defense is only evasion and that's obviously got some element of truth to it uh however again talking to these guys there is definitely defense there is training the head neck shoulder muscles and our sports science and sports data that we put out will start to support that um learning how tense to make the muscles how tense to clench the jaw all of that matters learning to roll with the slap but not committing a flinching foul so there's really a lot of time you know how how, when do you close your eyes? You know, do you leave your eyes open the whole time? Do you, you know, so there, there are elements. And then on the on the striker side, you know, again, back to the health and safety point, part of the rules were built to limit force where we can, right? So the feet have to stay grounded. There's no stepping or pivoting. You watch a boxer, everything is thrown with a pivot, right? Um, there's none of that. You have to land in a very small zone for it to be a legal strike. And if it's an illegal strike, there's, there are fouls with harsh penalties, DQs, and if you DQ, you lose your, your your win money, right? Like you get it all in one, you drop down in ranking. So, you have to really get the technique down to make sure that you're uh, you know on your path to winning these matches.
1: Daniel, what did we just
0: watch? Look, the man is getting paid to be the president of the Power Slap League, and I got to be real with you. I uh, that's probably the best answer he could have gave. It's still a bunch of malarkey, (laughs) but it's still the best answer he could have gave,
1: but still. Closing, when you close your eyes, we're talking about closing your eyes is a defense?
0: Yes, I know. Clenching your, there's like a, he talked about how you got to clench right. Like, don't you just clench really hard? Isn't that it? Like, you're just taking a mean crap. Uh, Yeah, you're strengthening your, your muscles, like. But he answered, clearly he said there's no evasive defense, which is the key part. Okay, Mm so uh, it's crazy. Uh, It's crazy. Also, how much sports science is going on in the world of slap fighting? All
1: right. Do you think that their science is going to give us both sides of the story?
0: No, 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 no. Look, I think, first and foremost, I did watch the first episode. I did see the entire thing. And I'm going to say two things here. I kind of liked it, but I believe it should not be a thing. I believe it should okay. not be a thing, but I could, I kind of liked it. It was entertaining, but it shouldn't be a thing. It is unethical, and I believe it should not be sanctioned. But, Jason, hey, no, 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 I no. I kind of liked it.
1: How about the dude who gets slapped once and it looks like
0: he has a hematoma on yeah, his yeah. cheek? And he won the fight. He won his fight. He had a hematoma, and he did it. And then they, they, that was crazy. And
1: then you have the woman who gets slapped the first time, falls, gets up, and then does like a somersault on the ground.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty good forward roll. I got to say, okay, so there was a, I had a lot of thoughts. Before I get into my thoughts, I just wanted to say you brought up a really funny thing that now I'm just like, that's so crazy. This is why the slap isn't going to work. It's because they are trying to copy the ultimate fighter formula, Mm -hmm. a formula that has not worked since I was taking pre-AP chemistry. That's when the ultimate fighter formula last worked. And they're like, this is going to be a hit. We're going to copy the ultimate fighter formula. No, if something's going to be a hit, it's got to have a completely different formula. It's got to be something new. Um, it's not going to be a hit because of that. Anyways, here are my thoughts about this show. A couple things. Again, I did enjoy it. The concept, and this is why these videos went really viral on Facebook, is it's really perfect for short-term enjoyment because <laughs> there's a lot of anticipation for what's about to happen and then there's an immediate payoff. And it's like, oh my God. Oh, oh my God. Oh, so it it, it really harvests it really works towards that craving of attention that we have with social media content. But everything I see on my social media feed shouldn't be sanctioned by the Nevada state athletic commission. The fact that these people can't evade the strike is enough reason for me to believe this sport should not be sanctioned. This is just documenting concussion after concussion after concussion. This is really bad for these people's brains. It's crazy. And, you know the slap league shouldn't be a thing because like five minutes into the show they're already talking about all the regulation and medical crap they're doing five minutes in it's like they're it's like they're ashamed of it and they already know what's wrong so they're trying to explain to you why it isn't
1: yeah i know um matt Vervol, the ufc fighter he had this tweet about slap fighting i don't want to know how much money went into slap fighting shit. Why not put that money towards making the UFC a better overall product and legitimizing the sport? Is also dumb AF LOL with three emojis. One of those emojis being a trash can. How much are they being paid, Daniel? Well, UFC veteran Eric Spicely gave us a little peek into that as he was offered two thousand show, two thousand to win.
0: God dang! Can you imagine getting paid two thousand dollars to get a concussion? That is not it. I mean, what's next? Are they going to do a TV show where you just have two people in cars and just drive into each other and just to see who's who makes it out? I mean,
1: Okay, here's the other problem on the Eric Spicely aspect. Do we and it it gets brought up in this MMA junkie article that Spicely was scheduled to fight August 1, 2020 at UFC Fight Night 173, but withdrew on weight weigh in day. He later said he was on antidepressants due to head trauma, which caused weight cutting to go horribly wrong.
0: Oh my gosh, that's crazy! Yeah, that 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 has long head trauma has long-lasting effects on a person's quality of life, and and it was just a constant barrage of head trauma, and again, this is the stuff we love. We love combat sports, which has an incredible amount of head trauma. But in anything in life, there's a line on what you justify and what you don't. And when there's that lack of defense and you're guaranteed to receive a strong blow like that to the brain rattling off of your skull, it's just its too much. It's above the pale. And, you know, when I watch this show, I mean, two things. One is I don't get what these people that are behind the guys are supposed to be doing. Are they supposed to catch them? Because if they are – they do a really bad job of catching them. Like they I don't, I, I barely saw any of them actually catch like the, the the lady did a somersault. They suck at catching them. And then the other thing is, on a more serious point, it's a bad look for Mark Smith and Jason Herzlock to be associated with this in my opinion.
1: I, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. Look, I would be shocked if this thing sees a season two. If he sees a season two, I think it's on UFC fight pass. It's not on cable television, unless this is where maybe Endeavor uses their power. But speaking of Dana White, there was a great piece written by AJ Perez over at frontofficesports.com. People may remember AJ from his time at Fox Sports. And uh, the title of this article is a profile piece on Dana. By the way, in the not shocking department, the UFC and Dana White uh, refused to give comment uh, on their questions for this article. The article was titled, How Dana White Became Immune to Controversy. And and I'll put the link to this article in the show notes if you haven't checked it out. And so I highlighted a bunch of things in this article, Daniel. Uh, Going over some of these things I highlighted. For most sports execs, there'd be some type kind of reckoning, especially when it comes to physical altercation with a partner. And this is a quote from a former UFC employee. Those inside knew nothing was going to happen. Dana is that powerful in any other sport, a league president putting his hands on his wife would have led to a action. It's sad and disgusting at the same time. Another foreign employee said this, he's convinced Ari that he has the secret sauce. Endeavor thinks that there's nobody, but Dana who can run the UFC. Now here's one of the things I highlighted that to me is spot on about what the mixed martial arts community is. Alex writes, quote, MMA has a different fan base where many view white as a demigod than stick and ball sports where league commissioners are regularly booed. That Daniel, that is a spot on analogy of mixed martial arts in the UFC.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. It's a good article and it's it's a well-written article and all the points are true and I look I just I think Dana shouldn't be the president. There should have been consequences. We literally have him on tape after getting slapped by his wife. He then slapped her. And it's something where it's something that is going to, unfortunately, people are already moving on. This story Mm -hmm. is already almost a thing in the past. And it's really sad that that happened. And we're about to talk about another story that has very similar thing. We're gonna to get to that.
1: Um, more of this article that, that stuck out to me, it says White has always protected UFC's bottom line, but he's not stingy in his personal life. Dana will tip a doorman of a hotel a thousand dollars. But if anyone comes to his office and asks for a raise, that pisses him off. One former UFC employee said, it's so bizarre. Today Dana, a money is love. It's not seen as an instrument to buy goods or services. If you're asking for money, it means you don't love him. It's very primitive. Oh my God. Like that may, like, when we talk about the things in this profile piece, that may be the part that sticks out to me the most about he will tip a hotel person. But how dare someone who who is a part of his organization ask for a pay raise?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a hell of a quote. That's crazy.
1: Uh, other things in this article that stuck out to me: it says uh, none of those interviewed by FOS ever saw White being violent to anyone, man or woman, in their presence. Uh, UFC declined to comment on the story. White did return multiple messages this month. Uh, many of those those same sources were caught off guard by White's response. Or, or weren't caught off guard by White's response or lack of one by and ever. Uh, this is a quote from a source that says, he'll never accept, let alone seek out therapy. The only way he'd go to counseling would be if a judge ordered it. And then kind of, uh, this is probably, uh, to me, the probably the second highlight of this profile. It says, in theory, Endeavor really owns two tangible assets, UFC and PBR, one former employee said. You think they let the head of the PBR hit his wife on video and keep his position? Hell no. Compared to the UFC, Endeavor makes nothing with PBR. It's disappointing at the same time. There's also been silence from most of the fighters in the UFC, both men and women who are in contract with the organization. It's disappointing to not see any of the fighters speak out, said Hannah Rose, who covers UFC for Pay 365. But really, nobody can say anything. Dana White has all the power with fighter pay and other things. They have their hands tied behind their backs. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea who Hannah Rose is. This is the first time I've ever heard her name, but her quote is very spot on.
0: Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to check out MMA Pay 365. Let's see this website. That's cool. Never, never heard of this. Hey, site. I tell you, MMA Play. Um, I gotta check it out. Here's the other thing. Um, uh, completely random, but uh, oh, never mind. You have to like join it. Uh, also, side note, completely random. Vox Media cut a lot of people, and they cut uh, kid Nate from Bloody Elbow. I just I wanted to mention that. that. Yeah, sad stuff. Um, but when when I when I read this article it's a completely true. And I do think if there's anything that's going to impact Dana White and Endeavor, it's going to be pressure from national media, it's going to be a big story, it's going to be um, momentum building. And it's going to be real simple. It's going to be Endeavor, not looking at themselves ethically and morally, but looking down at the bottom line. And if they believe this story is affecting their bottom line, Dana will be facing consequences. They've done the calculations. Clearly, they believe it won't.
1: Yeah, you mentioned about there's another story that that was revealed yesterday, and the only way I can describe this, Daniel, is disturbing allegations about Conor McGregor from an incident happened in Spain. In July of last year, and this report coming out of Spain where uh, McGregor is under investigation for allegedly attacking a woman on board his yacht in Spain in July of 2022. Uh, This coming from a a report out of Spain. According to report, the alleged victim who said she knew McGregor because they're from the same neighborhood in Dublin was on McGregor's yacht after his birthday party. On July 16th, as they're part of the club's VIP area with McGregor and those with them, she said in her statement. She went on his yacht with him and others. Then she alleged he started to insult her appearance, then attacked her with a kick to the midsection, punched her and said he was going to drown her. Um, all of the behavior changed at that moment. The alleged victim sent her statement to uh, Ireland's police service. According to a report, it was as if he was possessed. I knew that I had to get off the boat. I thought he was going to kill me. We have a mutual friends. I met him numerous times. I can't believe what he did to me. He's a criminal. I think he should, he would have killed me if I hadn't got off the boat. The woman in her statement to police says she jumped off the yacht, which was near the island of Formitra at the time, to flee McGregor. Eventually, a Red Cross boat took her to shore. A separate report uh, from a Spain outlet said the alleged victim initially said McGregor attacked her, but when Spain's Civil Guard police questioned her, she declined to identify McGregor as her assailant and said she wanted to return to to Ireland and a McGregor representative, uh, provide this quote to MMA mania saying, Mr. McGregor is steadfast in his denial of these accusations made by a guest on his boat. Disturbing details is way. I will describe this story. If what is being alleged in this story is true, Conor McGregor should be behind bars.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a really disturbing story. Connor doesn't really have the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. we literally have a video of him assaulting somebody that man in the bar when you talk about his past if you go to his Wikipedia and you go to the section that says controversies there's 11 sections there's 11 different sections it's a guy who's been accused of sexual assault a couple times there's a Oh, like three, four times. Two uh, an assault in the Dublin pub, the one we just had. He also assaulted Francesco facinetti Yeah, altercation with Machine Gun Kelly. Uh there's a robbery, which I think it was just him grabbing some dude's phone, I believe. Um threw a thing at the bus. I mean Connor's uh Connor's got no Benefit of the doubt. And I just don't want to see him fight anymore. It's disturbing.
1: We all remember what Dana White said when he addressed the media following his uh, altercation with his wife. I want to point to a tweet I saw yesterday from John Nash. So he quotes the MMA junkie story on this. And John writes, quote, his punishment will be having to live with it. Can't get any worse than that. You knew this is how the MMA media was going to react to this. They're going to use Dana's words, but also, uh, do you follow Cage Potato
0: on, on Twitter? No, but I I know they're a real funny website. And
1: so they had this tweet yesterday. Can anyone explain why Connor just can't just drink and do Coke and be happy while drunk and on Coke like the rest of us? <sighs>
0: It is true. It's it is one of those things where it's like, why do you have to assault people? I mean, it's pretty bad. But like, if you are like, why do you not have enough self control not to harm others? It's just like that's probably why you need to be in in jail because you can't help yourself and you are a trained fighter. And again, these are allegations. I want to clarify that. But correct. If you um, if you are assaulting random people. Who are not fighters, or even if they are a fighter outside of the, the realm of a gym or a competition, you're a very dangerous person. And this person, these allegations, feared for her life, saying that she thought he was going to drown her. Um it sucks, man. This story sucks. It just does. And and the the sucky part about it is I don't have any confidence in Endeavor to to do anything. And I think we'll just see another Connor fight, and it'll be business as usual. And it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like you said. These are allegations, but if these allegations are true, Connor McGregor needs to be behind bars. Um, but you know, we'll see whether or not, um, you know, where this story goes from here. But, uh, you know, you, you, you make some great points about what's hit there. Uh, Let's get some kind of quick hits before we get out of here on this edition of the podcast. Um, First off, Vadim Nemkov has re-signed with a uh, Bellator. So uh, if you're hoping that Vadim Nemkov was going to end up in the UFC, well, you're going to have to wait a couple more years. He's re-signed with Bellator. Great signing by Bellator there. Uh, Talk to Mike Mizzouli. Uh, yesterday, and he uh, told me about they've got some referee and judging some training seminars that are coming up in Orlando and in Kentucky. The one in Kentucky will be uh, in Louisville, Muhammad Ali Center, where uh, he said that he goes, look, coaches, fighters, managers, welcome to come to learn more about what is being taught in these courses of how a judge should judge a fight and how a referee should referee a fight. So a little information there. Uh, we got MMA this week, Daniel PFL is back. The challenger series starts on Friday. Also on Saturday, LFA is down in Brazil, Sunday, fury FC. Uh, that's on fight pass of course at LFA show. And, uh, fury car will be on UFC fight pass. The, uh, uh, PFL show is on FUBU sports, which based on the tweet that I saw from PFL, it is free. So it's not behind some paywall where you, so you don't have to be a FUBU sports, uh, subscriber. So that's good. Um, uh, Barbosa, uh, a grappling wizard. Uh, he was supposed to make his PFL debut last year fight did not happen. Uh, he's headlining this card. So interested to see, uh, what that, that does look like there. And, uh, any other quick hits you have, uh, before we kind of get out of here?
0: I mean, I guess, um, you know, I'll be watching the Mixed Martial Arts action uh, this weekend. I'll probably check out the PFL car because there isn't a whole lot going on. I, I guess just to circle back on something I mentioned, uh, just again, shout out to Kid Nate. I'm not aware of who else because I know Vox Media got rid of a lot of people. So I don't know. I haven't been up to date on everyone that's been uh, let go. So I don't know if there's other people in the MMA community that have lost their jobs there. But all I got to say is Bloody Elbow and MMA Fighting were very, very formative websites for me growing up as a a combat sports fan. And there's still websites that I frequent. Um, And Kid Nate was a big part of that. And it's really sad that Vox Media is making these layoffs because it weakens the website. And, you know, it just sucks because there is less great mixed martial arts writing Today, Mm -hmm. than when I first started watching this sport, and there are some great writers, and there are some great writers doing the thing, but it's just the lack of money for mixed martial arts writing. And it it also extends to sports writing and writing in general, because society is getting dumber. Uh, We just are. We, we love our TikToks, which I love my TikTok. I love my slaps. <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. But
1: I'm I'm a TikTok a, guy. I'm a TikTok guy, man. I, and I spend way too much time on that app. Like, there, I saw this meme the other day. It's like, hey, you say I'm going to bed, but then you're laying in bed, phone in hand, and you've been on TikTok for three hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, um, oh, I got to see one more. Oh, uh, one more. And then it's been three hours. And yeah, I mean. They turned my five minute poops into a into a whole five minute five round twenty five minute deal, uh, but yeah, shout out to Kid Nate, man. Uh, he yeah, I hope uh, hope he lands on his feet and uh, yeah, sad sad deal. But I'm looking forward to talking to you next week, man. I thought it was a great podcast. We consistently get hit with some. Difficult subjects to talk about every single freaking week. Look, but, uh, I just
1: hope is some, some major news doesn't break by the time I get a chance to edit this show together and post it on all the platforms. Because typically, I'll be like halfway through editing it, and then something just happens.
0: Yeah, that's what I was what I was doing while you And were by, doing by the by the way,
1: typically there's not a lot of editing. It just kind of takes time with the video aspect of encoding yeah. it and all that. It takes time. I mean, you know, typically there's not really much editing we do here outside of maybe processing the audio a little bit to give you the, the best audio um, you know, performance out there, but uh but yeah, yeah. usually it's like I, I get like halfway through and I I get some alert on my phone. I'm like, "Son of a bitch."
0: I know, I know. There's always something. I mean, by the time I eat my lunch, Uh, there'll be something crazy, but Hey man, we'll be here to talk about it. We'll give you our perspective and and that's what we do, man. And, and again, thank you to all the listeners. Uh, we appreciate y'all so much.
1: Yeah, coming up on uh, Sunday's episode of the podcast, uh, one of the guys that I'm going to be joined by, I'm going to be joined by Izzy Silva, the wrestling coach. uh, Brad Moreno, actually talking to him tomorrow. Uh, So looking forward to that conversation. Also talking to Anthony Romero. Uh, He is going to be a part of the PFL uh, Challenger Series at 155 pounds. You may remember him. Had a matchup on the Contender Series, won, but didn't get a contract. I've I've actually uh, interviewed Anthony multiple times. The first time I ever interviewed Anthony, Anthony emailed me himself. This is before Anthony had management, and uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with him. Uh, if you're in the Tampa, if you're in Tampa on Saturday, you're at Gasparilla. First off, be safe, like me. Be like me. I'll be in Uber. I'll be Ubering it down there. Probably Uber to another bar after the parade is over, and then finally Uber my way home at some point. Um, you know, if you if you're if you're at Gasparilla, you, you know you want to partake in you know some beverages. I'll be down. Don't threaten me with a good time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, that that sounds like a good time. If you're listening to this, get out there and drink some, uh, drink some daddy sodas with Jason.
1: There, there is literally, I'm for the most part a guy that doesn't really pop open a cold beverage early in the day. Good chance the first beverage probably gets popped at about 11 (laughs) a.m.
0: Yeah, that's one of the all time uh, drinking days of the year for you, huh?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, as you get older, you know, you know, you have your longtime friends that maybe only get together a couple of times a year. This is one of those days of the year. And, uh, yeah, it's basically Tampa Gets Drunk Day. I mean, that's essentially the best way I can put it. Tampa Gets Drunk Day. We celebrate pirates invading our city.
0: Y'all are crazy. Y'all are absolutely crazy. But I love it. That's what makes Florida, Florida. Dude, I'm telling
1: it. you, I'm telling you right now. If you go on Twitter on Saturday and just like at, at in the afternoon, just just search Gasparilla, you're gonna look at that and go, "Oh God damn, that's a party!"
0: I know. I, yeah, y'all know how to party. I mean, y'all do. We, we do too. But Florida takes it to a whole other level. I mean, that's I, probably why a lot of you know athletes go on away games to Miami and and uh, Orlando and and uh, they drop a loss because <laughs> they went out the night before.
1: Yeah, as I was watching the uh, TNT game last night, they were kind of alluding to that. Of uh, you know, Boston got in the night before, and you know they yeah. probably went to the club as they landed.
0: Yeah, dude, you know, I read I read somewhere that the Grizzlies lost and um, they were losing because it was Dylan Brooks's birthday the day before <laughs> or something. And I'm like, damn, that's like for gamblers. So they just look at when it's people's birthdays and just pick them to lose the day after. Because yeah, I mean, if it's your birthday, you're an NBA player, you're gonna get go out.
1: You know, that was the thing about watching the pay-per-view last week. I was kind of wondering like, man, will we see less gambling integration into the broadcast and man, it was the same.
0: Yeah, uh, money talks and they pay a lot of money to put that crap on there and, and I, I don't mean crap in like a bad way. I just mean that's just the word. But uh they, they you know, money talks, it's, man, and
1: it's our sports world. Like you think about now I think it gets integrated into combat sports way more. Than any other sport that's out there, um, but I mean, you, you. I mean, look, I mean, I. I love to watch NBA on TNT. I, I want to say they have a deal with Fanduel. It's that that's integrated throughout that broadcast, but nothing like where it is for the UFC.
0: Yeah, the UFC is head over heels on it, and again, it's the money aspect of it. I mean, advertising dollars in a lot of ways, people have been buckling back in most industries over the past 10 years, but the one industry where the advertising dollars has grown has been the betting because they do see that return on investment. You know, if you're FanDuel, if you're DraftKings, if you're whomever or whatever, you put that stuff out there, people are going to go to your website and they're going to give you money. And uh, it's, it's a great return on investment for them. And that's why we see it so much everywhere.
1: Let me ask you this. So you're in the central time zone. Yes, sir. What is the odds... That next Saturday night, you are watching the UFC main card live that starts at midnight central time.
0: Zero percent chance. So, yeah, zero percent chance. Well, first and foremost, but the thing is, I'll I'll watch the whole card, but not at that time. I mean, first and foremost. All
1: right. Will you watch Bellator
0: live? uh, Probably not. Only what time is it going to be at?
1: Eight o'clock your time.
0: Uh, actually, there's a possibility I might. Because Here's the deal. So on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm doing pro wrestling training. So we train in okay. the afternoon. So I am busy, but there is a chance that I'll get home right as Bellator's show is starting. And I may watch it, uh, but I have to watch it on my computer because when I go up to train, which is not where I live, I stay at an Airbnb. This doesn't have a TV, but uh, I might just watch it on my computer. So honestly, I might. But also I do have an early bedtime Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because like that, that training, man, that, that really, it's really intense. It gets, oh, you, I'm uh, sure, entire... I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah. It, it does. I'm
1: sure that body's pretty sore.
0: Yeah. But, uh, you know, the good thing is I have a lot of free time, so, uh, I, I will be checking out both cards. Just, uh, unlikely I'll be watching it live. Yeah. For I'll, sure, the... for sure I'll be watching UFC live.
1: I will watch the belt. Yeah. I'll watch belts for live. Yeah. Like you, I 1% chance. I see. Yeah, the first fight one percent chance. The the yeah. odds of me staying up at one a.m. the start to watch the start of the UFC main card. I'll catch you the next day. But I will say this, man. I'm looking for that Sabahamasi brand Ward fight because that's just got banger all over it. Um, you know yeah. what? What does Fedor look like in his final MMA fight?
0: Yeah. Like I yeah, feel I'm like afraid. I feel
1: like Fedor, we probably should believe that retirement talk.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I think we should just because it felt like he was—he has already retired. He has already retired. Uh, so yeah, I could see it. Yeah, yeah. And he he has enough things going on to where he's going to be able to generate income for a long time, and just being Fedor is a business in and of itself. So yeah, he'll I- be all right. But I mean, he's he's probably going to get beat bad. Um,
1: I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know that that's a. <laughs> uh... I mean, I would I would say my pick would be Bader, but I I don't rule out the potential that that Fedor pulls it off. The weird thing to me though is if you're if you're Scott Coker, do you want Fedor to win? And now you have a vacant title essentially.
0: I don't know. I think Scott Coker, if Fedor wins, he'll probably talk him and do another fight. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. I, I think Scott's going to say it as a win-win either way.
1: That to me is, I, okay. If I'm Scott Coker, you, you've now, you've signed McKee to a new deal. You've signed Nemkov to a new deal. I just wonder how much he's willing to open up the checkbook to sign Francis. And I, I heard John Morgan, uh, he was talking about this on his podcast, and, and I thought he was, he was spot on about this. It's not about selling the first Francis fight because there's going to be intrigue wherever he fights, whether it's a boxing matchup, it's Bellator, it's PFL, wherever it is. It's ultimately is what is the second and third fight that's still going to get people intrigued?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't know if there are that many heavyweights out there for those fights to happen, third fight to get intrigued, but... Uh, all I do know is you have two free agents right now in the MA landscape that are difference makers, and it's him and it's Nate Diaz. And it's been a very long time since we've had two very real difference makers that could give an organization momentum. And and I will say I, I think you know PFL has more momentum than Bellator as we speak. Bellator's done a good job at resigning fighters, but PFL getting in the Jake Paul business is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. He is a he is he's a he's a needle mover. Whichever promotion gets Nate and Francis, they are going to get two needle movers, two very expensive needle movers. It's going to be hard to make a profit off of their fights. But, yeah, those are two viable guys. It's just a matter of making a profit off of fights, which is difficult for Francis because there really isn't anybody in mixed martial arts at heavyweight that I would be super excited to see him fight outside the UFC.
1: I'll say this. I'm really intrigued to see what the PFL does in 2023. I think like as I think about like the things that have my eye the most, I think the PFL may be is is can they kind of use the momentum they had in the back half of 2022 and progress that into 2023 and truly prove they are the number two MMA promotion in the world? I mean, I think from a fighter's aspect, I think a lot of fighters do consider them number two just because of the type of money they're offering.
0: Absolutely, and that's, that's one of the big indicators, and I agree with you. I think... There's a possibility of this being a really big year for the PFL. And uh, only time will tell when these fights get announced. But uh, it's a guarantee whenever Jake Paul fights, eyeballs are going to be there.
1: I feel like, I wonder if that's ultimately where Eddie Alvarez ends up.
0: I think so, just because I feel like if Eddie was going to go to Bellator, it, he would have been in that tournament. And outside of that, he was already in one. I don't think the UFC is going to sign him. Dude, if if I'm the, If I'm the PFL you know,
1: you're trying to develop this, this pay-per-view series, a Nate versus Eddie Alvarez headliner. I think That's that would sell. Show. I I, think he, I mean, obviously you got to kind of put some other things around it, but I think in terms of like, that to me is also like, when we talk about the, the intriguing part about the PFL, and what they're trying to do with pay-per-view, the fact that we still have not heard how many pay-per-views they sold back in November, I think is very telling about what that pay-per-view really did. But like, to me is can they develop a pay-per-view product? And I mean, look, they, if they're going to develop pay-per-view product, Jake Paul's a great addition to that, but you're going to need to add a Francis Ngannou, a Nate Diaz, and Eddie Alvarez to really convince people to go, go over and pay that, you know, $80 or so to watch a premium level PFL product.
0: Absolutely. You know, the game plan is to do multiple pay-per-views a year. Got to have multiple stars. And uh, they have one. Well, they have two. They have him and Kayla Harrison. But, uh, you know, Francis and, and, and Nate represent three and four.
1: Kayla, man, she has gone off the radar. I, I feel like we have not heard anything from Kayla in at least a month.
0: Yeah, she's probably she's probably just honing in on getting that win back. I think yeah. that'll probably, yeah. She, I think she's probably going to be awesome in her next fight. We'll see. By I the mean, way, uh- uh, yeah.
1: Speaking of 145 pounds, Katsangana was booked for a fight. Yep, not against Chris Cyborg.
0: Yeah, against like Liam McCourt, right? Yeah. Not for a fight. Yeah. We're looking forward to that one. Yeah,
1: but, that, that's the car that's going to be um, in Temecula. Um, it's going to be headlined by Gome and Daniel James. Uh, Joey Davis returns in that car. It'll be his first fight in two years.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember him. He's been, he's a, I remember when he was I, Yeah, out it was. Denver.
1: Yeah, it was like probably, I don't know, a month ago. Someone asked me, like, hey, what's going on, Joey Davis? And I was like, no one's talking. (laughs) I was like, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, there he is. Yeah, I uh, you know, be a good little card. It's a good little fight, but yeah, I don't think we'll see Singano take on Cyborg ever.
1: It it, it was funny, is you know, because me and my wife have YouTube TV. And so I canceled the Showtime subscription because, like, there's not a Bellator event on it for a while. And then my wife goes, so why'd you cancel Showtime? I go, I only have it for Bellator. And there's no Bellator events for a while on Showtime. So I'm like, I'm just going to cancel it.
0: Yeah, it's smart. You know, every month they take a little bit of money out of your bank account. If you're not going to use it for three months, well, then crap. Too like, I,
1: I keep telling myself I need to cancel that five pass subscription because I never go on five
0: pass. Yeah, same here. Same here.
1: There's certain subscriptions I just look at. I go, when do I watch it?
0: Yeah, that's why it's important to look at your credit, your your debit card history, and be like, okay, I haven't used this service in a while, you know. And uh, I've been doing that. I've been just unsubscribing from things like a like a maniac. Yeah, like
1: I have um, a subscription to the Athletic, so I can't. I go to cancel it. They're like, oh, don't you want to stay on for twelve dollars for another year? Oh sure, twelve dollars for a whole year. All right.
0: Yeah, that's a lunch. If you're if you're charging me a lunch for a whole year, I'll take it,
1: dude. I went to uh, PDQ, which is like um, it's like a Chick fil A type um, fast food joint down here. Went there on Saturday because I went to uh, get my nails, uh, my dog's nails trimmed. Got two two uh, combo meals for me, and my wife, twenty four dollars.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, prices are inflation's a real thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I I, I mean, look, I just you know. You know, I I was making that big decision. What what am I getting the beer to watch the fights with? But I I went with Modelo. I had that fighting spirit. Got some Modelo. Got some limes to put in the Modelo.
0: You know, it was a good Mm. time. We love to hear it.
1: Promise, Modelo's. I I feel like I can drink twenty of them. That's that's not a good thing. It's not a good
0: thing. (laughs) No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's It's weird because, like,
1: like with Corona, I can have like three or four Coronas. I'm like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Modelos. It's like I'm drinking Bud Light. It's, it just yeah. it's, it they start tasting like
0: water. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous.
1: Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Dangerous is is a great way to put it. But of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, new episodes come out every Sunday and Wednesday. Here on Wednesday, the midweek edition, myself and Daniel talking about what's going on in the world and May On Sundays, it is the interview edition. Appreciate you tuning in for this episode, and I'll have a new episode for you on Sunday, including the wrestling coach of Brandon Moreno.